0: An interesting project that uh, we worked on is uh, these kind of they're called BMT balls. so uh, along with those explosives that get dropped into the, the drill holes, you also drop this kind of steel cylinder ball that's about the size of a soccer ball. Uh, you drop a bunch of those in with the explosives and then you bl- you blow it all up and so those steel balls will move according to the density of the material.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel, and this is a podcast for the geospatial community. My guest on the show today is Kieran, and he comes to us from a company called Skycatch. And Skycatch is doing a lot of interesting work with drone mapping and mining environments. So, Kieran's going to be telling us a little bit about his work there, how it's affecting mining environments, and how geospatial and drone mapping in general are sort of paving the way to to creating automated workplaces. Just before we get into the interview, I would like to remind you that this podcast is sponsored by Hive Mapper. That's Hive as in Beehive Mapper. And this is the company that lets you upload video footage from a variety of different platforms to the cloud, and they automatically attempt to turn that video footage, that raw video data into 3D geospatial layers. Okay, on with the interview. Welcome to the podcast, Kieran. Thank you so much for taking the time to to come along and talk to us today. And I discovered during the pre-interview that that your title is fleet commander and you work for a company called Skycatch. So you've got something to do with drones. I know that it's related to to mining and we're going to be talking a little bit about how drones can help us automate workplaces. But before we dive into that, how did you get involved in, in drone mapping?
0: About three years ago, I graduated from Santa Clara University. And from there started a small startup doing uh, wind turbine inspections using drones. And that was kind of mostly around the automating, the capture, uh, the camera, firing the camera, um, and then taking those images and kind of presenting them for an inspection. And worked there for about a year and a half, typical startup fashion. They ran out of money and kind of looked around and, and was looking at other, other drone companies and uh, found Skycatch. So I've been here for two years started out in kind of the QA process and now working in the customer success team. So working with trainings, implementation, uh, supporting customers in the field.
1: Um, but before we go on to talk about Skycatch, could you just explain a little bit about what you were doing with, with these uh, wind turbines? Where, is it just in a visual inspection or were you flying other sensors around them and scanning them? How did it work?
0: Uh, so it was um, you know, it was really just kind of cobbling together Um you know three years ago isn't was not that long in the drone industry um, or it is kind of a long time in the drone industry so uh, i was really just kind of building a platform uh, using a Pixhawk flight controller and um, then mounting a, a sony a7 camera on there to take really super high resolution photos um, because with wind turbine inspection what you're trying to do is you're trying to zoom in really really closely to the blade so you're flying fairly close within about five meters and uh, you're just scanning up and down, so the wind turbine is stopped, and the pilot is manually flying up and down those blades. Uh, and then with those images, you can actually zoom in to like a sub-centimeter level, and you're looking for very thin kind of hairline fractures, whether it's like a lightning strike, bird strike, oil leakage, um, just really getting that sensor kind of close to something that is. Um, you know, otherwise, before actually the person who started that company, he before that he worked on. Uh, repelling. So they would climb up to the top of the turbine and then set up a bunch of ropes and then, you know, rotate one blade so it's hanging down and then just kind of go down and with like a checklist and a, and a pocket camera just kind of mark things off. So with drones, you can actually capture the whole turbine very quickly and um, you have much, much richer set of data to uh, work with later.
1: Yeah, and, and I guess that sort of talks or speaks a lot to the idea of starting to automate workplaces, which is what we're going to be talking about, just in a slightly different setting. So that was your past. Skycatch is your future. What is it that you're doing with, with, with Skycatch and drone mapping?
0: Working with people to enable them to um, use drones to capture uh, their job sites, whether it's mine or a construction site or a forest. Um, Really enabling all these different use cases of drones and uh, training people so that they can use the drones themselves, and they're not having to, you know, enter into a pit. For example, traditional surveying, you have to give it, get very close to things to measure it. So it's with a GPS rover or a laser scanner. Um, but traditionally, you know, the, the closer you are, the more accurate you're going to be in that measurement. Uh, and with drones, so you can increase that standoff distance significantly. And you can capture a very large area. So because it's an aerial vehicle, it can fly tens, hundreds of acres uh, and capture you know, a, whole, a whole pit wall in 30 minutes. And what would traditionally take days of planning and then a day or two in the field to really set up all those different um, capture methods. So drones are, drones are just a really awesome way to capture all types of new data. So it's both training people how to use the system and then also training them, how to uh, learning with them how to make use of this data in, in new ways that they haven't before.
1: Okay, so I think we need to add a little bit of context here. So we're talking about a mining environment, and and you talked about a pit wall, for example. Can you tell us what, why is that important to, to capture that? Why is it important to measure it?
0: Yeah, so a pit wall is is, is kind of that benching that you, you might be familiar with in a, in a mine. And um, what you're doing with that benching is you're actually – um, digging as steep as possible without um, and, and minimizing the risk of that wall collapsing, right? So if you dug just straight down, that wall would collapse at some point. And, and if you're in a mine or anywhere, that, that's a bad thing. So um, a lot of what mine planning is, is figuring out what's that optimal uh, angle that that pit wall is going down. And sometimes you're, you're basically right on the edge of what's what's possible. So, so measuring that wall is very important for geological surveys, uh, geotechnical surveys, and just determining, hey, is this wall moving? Uh, so oftentimes that wall is actually moving very slowly. Uh, so it's important to be able to characterize what's that, what's that collapse look like? Um, and then uh, actually looking into the fissures and the actual rock itself to determine, hey, is that if this sedimentary layer is here, I can also combine that with other types of geospatial data like uh, drill hole data or uh, surface data to determine, hey, is there another you know mineral vein over here that we can go look at?
1: Okay, so this sounds like something that needs to be repeated often. Um, are we looking at the same kind of time savings that you talked about earlier in, in terms of surveying the the wind turbines? Are we talking about the, the difference between days uh, you know, of human effort and a couple of minutes of drone effort? Or, or what do the time savings look like?
0: Um, the time savings are, are pretty significant, uh, you know, hours, not days. Uh, but really, more more importantly, kind of what I was talking about earlier is you can it, it capture a whole wall in in a, in a short period of time. So no, traditionally, you wouldn't do that. Uh, you would just capture one area that you've, you know, identified as, as a high risk area. And then maybe once a year or every couple of years, get a whole, you know, a, a much larger area. So with drones, you can capture a huge, huge area uh, on a very repeatable basis and get very consistent data.
1: And um, so presumably you're you're flying over these in some kind of uh, planned way, <laughs> uh, which, uh, you know, of course you're doing, you've got some kind of plan that you're flying after and you're using some kind of sensor to catch the data. Is it a a, a normal sort of visual camera or are you using other kinds of sensors on, on your drones?
0: Pretty much just RGB cameras. Um, so it's you've got an iPad, you basically draw where you want the drone to fly, and then it'll do a lawnmower pattern over that area. Um, and actually, it'll, it'll load in a, a DSM or a surface model of that pit wall, so that it's actually flying, I guess, the same height above those benches. So it's not just a two-dimensional lawnmower pattern in the air, but it's actually going up and down, scanning the, the surfaces. It's really cool to see. Um, so, so you're, you're doing it, flying over that pit, and then uh, you're taking a couple hundred photos. And then we do a process called photogrammetry, which combines that RGB information uh, into a three-dimensional point cloud and other data types.
1: That's really interesting. I didn't realize that drones could ingest a, a 3D model like that and sort of fly. So, so they're always at the same relative height over the surface of the earth. I, I didn't know that was possible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's kind of, I would say we're early stages in that, you know, it's not just, a pit wall, but say if you have a refinery, you can actually load in a model of that refinery and then say, hey, these are the smokestacks I want you to go inspect. And then the drone would kind of plan itself and, and know where the obstacles are. So it's using a combination of onboard sensors to kind of detect things in the air, but then also using that pre built map of the world to go identify you know, what areas it should be inspecting. So that's kind of still in the future a little bit, but we're kind of starting to see an evolution from. Kind of very simple lawnmower patterns orbits 360 photos to more complex flight patterns that the drone is figuring out itself. And we're not humans aren't having to meticulously plan every every flight pattern.
1: How far off do you think we are of, of from drones working autonomously, knowing when to take off, knowing what to look for based on what, what they've seen before and, and landing by themselves? Where you just have a drone on a landing pad and from time to time when it feels the moment is right, it flies off, does some surveying and comes back?
0: Oh, man, uh, there's been a lot of wrong predictions about the drone industry. Uh, so I don't want to get myself in, in hot water, but I, I would say a couple of years. Um, it really, it's you know, that, that kind of vision of a fully autonomous drone that's in a box, it flies around and, and basically there's just a person in the office kind of saying, Hey, go inspect these things. Uh, we'll get there. And, you know, I think it's within five, 10 years where it's basically human out of loop or, you know, kind of removed from the physical operation of it. But right now, what, what, what I think the industry is really focused on is just making that very easy to use. So a human you know, is a pilot is still you know fully present, feeding the pilot all the right type of information, right? You're always going to have to have a person monitoring that system wherever they are, whether it's in the field, in in the pit, or, you know, in an office, you're always going to have to be presenting the right telemetry information and the right sensor and health data for, you know, for safe operations. So right now it's a person uh, next to the pickup truck, surveying the whole area. I think you'll see an evolution of where that pilot is located, but, there's there's still a lot of work to be done, for sure.
1: Okay, so at the moment we've we've realised that drones are a great sort of choice if we're going to sort of survey these large open areas and do it in a really detailed fashion and do it in a very repeatable manner. Um, so we're collecting data of the surface of the world and we're combining it with other geo sets we have uh, of fissures and rocks and, and different layers in the earth. What other kinds of things are we using drones for in in a mining situation today?
0: So like on a daily basis, I would say kind of reconciliation. So at the end of every month, you got to count up, you know, for example, if you're at a coal mine, your clean coal pile is kind of the concentrate. So that's stuff that's been through the mill. It's been processed. It's kind of high grade and and ready to be shipped out. Uh, So that's a very important area to be capturing on a regular basis and and month end. Um, So that's, and then your, your spoils. So the stuff that, is not, not going to, not leaving the mine, but it's actually being dumped somewhere else. Um, these are kind of big mounds. So what, what surveyors are doing is whatever equipment that they're using, whether drones, laser scanners, GPS rovers, uh, they are trying to track the material movement. So if I've got X amount of material in the pit and uh, Y of it goes to the trains to be shipped out, and then half of it goes to my spoils pile, uh, Surveyors are responsible for tracking that material movement, and then what they're doing is they're actually combining that with uh, sensor information from the trucks. So the trucks are more or less aware of how much weight is in them, Uh, so they can use that. They're basically trying to reconcile those two, call them data flows, right? They're really truck, they're really material flows, but they're measured in in the the data is measured in two different ways: so on the truck, and then uh, with a drone. So you're, you're trying to match up and make sure that you know where all your material is going
1: so just to try and summarize here really quickly so the trucks they know how much material or the weight of the material that they've they've moved around the place and presumably the trucks also know where they've been where they've dropped this material off so you're trying to match that against perhaps flying drones over these these piles of material that you have around the place and i'm assuming they're collecting some kind of volume data is that correct
0: yeah, yeah, so uh, off of that three-dimensional point cloud that, that the drone is producing, um, you can do a, a, a measurement. So uh, either cut and fill report or a stockpile report and figure out how much material was there. Uh, and then if I fly the next day, I can see what what's the difference between the, those two surfaces.
1: In the pre-interview, you talked a little bit about how drones were used to to map something called HEAVE. Can you Can you tell me a little bit about that?
0: Oh, yeah, so that is... So the heave is the pile that's there after a blast. So if you're if you're about to blast an area in the mine, you drill a bunch of drill holes and you fill those up with explosives and then you blast it. And that kind of loosens up all the material and gets it ready so the excavators can come in, load it onto those trucks and then take them to the spoils or the mill or wherever. Um, so that heave pile is kind of, it's, it's the active... So it's where a lot of the activity is going or happening. It's where a lot of that activity is happening. So an interesting project that uh, we worked on is uh, these kind of, they're called BMT balls. So uh, along with those explosives that get dropped into the the drill holes, you also drop this kind of steel cylinder ball. That's about the size of a soccer ball. Uh, You drop a bunch of those in with the explosives and then you you blow it all up. And so the steel balls will move according to the density of the material. So if I have, you know, if some if some of the heat if some of the heave is, you know, directed in this direction, well, I know the density of the material is, you know, slightly higher over here. And then based on what I know about the geological conditions, I can determine, hey, this part of the heave actually has more um, mineral in there. Um, so I can we can go and extract that, and we can be a bit smarter on what material we're sending to the mill versus what material we're just going dumping somewhere else.
1: Okay. So uh, I'm assuming here that you're flying drones over there and mapping where, where these balls are landing. And, and, and based on that, you're saying, okay, this part of the heave, we're going to use it for one certain thing and the rest we're going to take somewhere else. Is that the way it works?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So before it was kind of a guessing game based on a lot of other kind of more subjective forms of data you would, start digging places and, and remove it. You know, oftentimes it was just visually the operators looking, hey, this is a little bit sparkly. I know that there's more zinc in that one. So we're gonna, we're gonna take that to mill and process it. With these BMT balls, once they they get blasted and the heave is there, then dr- the drones will fly over, map out where that is. Um, and then the excavators can go in and start start digging right away.
1: Right at the start of the interview, we, we mentioned this idea of automated workplaces. And, and so far, we've talked about automating a little different parts of the workplace. But where is this going? Like, are we building these maps? Are we using these drones so we have better information with the thinking that one day uh, the, these trucks, these heavy machinery will be moving around autonomously in the mine? Is that the, the sort of end goal?
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's certainly, um, the end goal for a lot of these large mining corporations. It's a very dull, dangerous and dirty job. You know, you've got, you got coal dust everywhere and very long shifts. Uh, so, you know, drones are kind of, I think the first type of robots that you're seeing because the environment that they're operating in is very relatively unobstructed you're, you're operating in the airspace of, of so there's not much there. Um, and then just to navigate that, it's pretty simple. Uh, and with quadricopters, uh, drones, we, we, we figured that out pretty well. But now I think the next is starting to automate some of the machinery in there. So we're seeing um, a lot of autonomous haul trucks. So the new mines that are coming online these days are basically looking at fully automated autonomous haul trucks. So these are these huge 300, 400 ton dump trucks that are carrying that much material. Um, and they're just, they're just the those are going to be the first ones kind of automated on the ground. And then you'll start to see excavators, water trucks, really everything start, start to be automated. You want to start working in a mine. Uh, often what they'll do is they'll hire people with no driving experience because these haul trucks, you're sitting basically on a two-story building, super high up in the air. And the way, the way they're laid out is actually it's so the, um, the drivers on the right-hand side, which is which is not normal for most people. So, if you don't have any driving experience, these are actually kind of one of the first entry-level positions. And I think we're going to see that that job kind of go away in the near future.
1: When that happens, when these kind of jobs go away, and we're we're looking at a more or a completely automated uh, mine, um, would you expect that these different pieces of machinery that are moving around will they be creating maps? On, on their own as well, or will there be something like uh, a more advanced version of what you are talking about with drones, creating like one sort of global truth and sharing that information out to, to the rest of the the autonomous vehicles in the pit?
0: Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I think drones are, are going to kind of create that base level map, um, and then all these other types of, of robots that are operating are going to be feeding into you know that, that map as well. So you're getting geospatial data... Maps, alerts, and from from all these different robots, and then you'll have kind of one central, you know, control center where you can see a very up-to-date, almost live feed of the map. Whether that imagery is coming from a drone or a laser scanner on a truck, or you know, a, a person out there, uh, there's there's many different types of kind of data streams that will kind of feed into this very very cool-looking map, probably
1: so up until now we've been talking about the use of drones and drone mapping in in a mining situation and it seems to me that this is almost a perfect use case for drones there's a clear view of the ground it's a large open area and not too many obstacles to fly around in the air Um, could you imagine drones being used in in other um, perhaps construction situations
0: yeah so we we do some work in construction as well and um, actually the most value that, uh, drones and construction see is during the early stages, uh, where you're moving a bunch of dirt around, there's no building has been constructed yet. And you're basically just trying to grade and, and shape the earth, uh, for that eventual, you know, pouring of concrete, creating those, those paths for the buildings to go on. Um, so that's drones in the early stages, civil construction, uh, heavy earthworks. That's where we're seeing the most value for, for drones. And then as soon as the buildings go up, it gets a lot harder because the stuff that you're interested in is very tiny. So you're looking for manholes or staking or tie-ins. So the the objects are smaller. And then also you have, it's just a very complicated site. You have, you know, roofs that are going up. So drones can't see into that. And most of the, most of construction actually happens um, indoors. So once, once those roofs go up, it's, it's pretty hard to, um, use drones like that.
1: Are there any other really great use cases out there for drones? I mean, I I can think of a few, but is there anything out there where you think, wow, like when we, once we start doing this, that this, this will be the end game for drones,
0: uh, there's a lot, you know, everything from say forestry, where you fly a drone over, uh, you create a very high density point cloud of that forest. And you can determine how many trees there are and then how tall are those trees and based off of that height, you can estimate how much wood mass is in that tree. So for forestry, uh, we have all these managed forests. That's a really good um, use case. What I thought about when I was on the road yesterday uh, is is traffic drones. So if you have an accident up ahead, a uh, drone can get to the scene very quickly They kind of determine the conditions and then also start to direct traffic. So we've seen Intel has all those kind of, you know, light shows. I think it was on the Super Bowl. And I think you'll start to see some of that. And Anywhere where the, the surface of the earth is changing on a daily basis, uh, drones are just a very good way to measure that change.
1: So you've got a lot of experience with drones and drone mapping. When you look out into the future, and we talked a little bit before about how quickly the landscape is changing in terms of drone technology and drone mapping technology, uh, what's the most exciting developments you, you see coming towards us?
0: It's, it's not so much the drones themselves. It's, um, I think, you know, every... every drone company says they're not a drone company, they're a data company. And, and I guess in some way it's true. The drones are, the drones are just the camera. So they're recording photo information and then GPS information. And then but really the processing and the analysis on that data is the most interesting part. And drones are, are a very good way to cap, like we talked about earlier, capturing a lot of that information that, and then, but once those kind of base maps are built, combining it with the excavator, so you can tell an excavator, hey, here's the map and here's my design file. And then you can start to automate that that shovel head and tell, tell exactly where to dig. So we've seen um, RTK GPS technology really improve and, and the, the quality has gone up and the cost has come really low. So I think um, combining that with the sensor information from machines, will get uh, very rich models of the world. And drones are kind of the first first layer of that. But once we start to kind of build other layers on top of that by combining excavators and bulldozers and trucks with that data, I think they'll all kind of tie in to that drone data initially and then starting to automate some of those tasks that other machines are doing.
1: It sounds like a really exciting future that we're going towards. Hey, I really want to thank you for taking the time to, to talk to me today. I've really enjoyed the conversation. But just before I let you go, where can we go to, to learn more uh, about you? And if we have any questions, who can we reach out to?
0: Uh, so skycatch.com is, is my work. I, I've got Twitter, I guess it's Kieran W. Skelly. Um, and anybody who's kind of working on this type of stuff or is interested or, or is even thinking about getting into the field. I encourage them to reach out because, yeah, it's it's an exciting future. Um, There's a lot of hard problems to work out, both on the technical side and then also, I think, the social side as well. So, yeah, it was really great talking to you. Thank you.
1: Thanks again, Karen. At the start of this podcast episode I mentioned our sponsor HiveMapper and I talked about how it was a platform that lets you upload video footage to the cloud and they would automatically convert that video footage to geospatial data layers that, that you could then run analysis on. So I didn't talk very much about the kinds of analysis you can do there. Once it's converted you can do things like object detection, you can do things like Change over time, and you can also create view sheds, and that, that's really great. But I think what's really cool about this platform is that I don't need anything else, I just need that video footage, upload it, and then the, the data that I need to do these kinds of analysis is either derived from the data I uploaded or is available for me on the platform. And I think that is really, really cool. And that's it for another episode of the Mapscaping podcast. My name is Daniel, and I just want to say that I am so grateful to all the people that are sharing this podcast with their friends. It's really helping to grow the the community, and it's helping to spread the word about geospatial. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. As always, you are more than welcome to reach out to me. If you have any questions or comments about the podcast, I would love to hear them. To do so, you'll find some really useful links in the show notes of this episode. Just click the information button on your podcast app and you'll see a few links there. That's it for me. I'll be back again next week with another geospatial story. We'll talk then. Bye.